McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Pure Forecast episode 190. Well it was 1-1 draw to start the season and here we are to get cracking with our first reviews as well as our game previews. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb, how are you Freddie? Hi I'm not bad Hugh, glad to be watching Pompey again even though it was typical that it was a one all draw, sod's law, but you know we get back to it but I'm glad the football season started all excited about look at, looking into all the info, reading all the articles. The lot. I'm absolutely loving it to be fair, even though it's even though that first game was a bit samey in some ways. One one, samey. Got me having a laugh, mate. <laughs> well, on the thing that Andy is still out of surgery now, little update. He's um had the I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong because Andy is so medically technical, but the tendon basically snapped, so he's replaced it between his shoulder and his collarbone. So he's now got a big bit of metal linking him up, you know, meaning I'm now going to start calling him Iron Man from now on. But in the meantime, joining the podcast from the extra, of course, is Jack Hancock. Jack Hancock. Let's get your name right. How are you, mate? Yeah, I tried to uh, tell my shoulders so I'd get out of doing this, but uh, no, I'm good, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Unlucky you didn't manage to do that. You know, you tried to fall off a wall as well. And unfortunately, with your youthfulness, you just bounced off it and got straight back up again. So... That was all good as well. It was nice to see you both at the brewery as well, pre-game. I um, had quite a few beers. So luckily I can I can remember the game. After that, it's a little bit hazy. So that's sort of what matters though, isn't it really, Fred? Just remembering what happens in the game so we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't what did you even do after the game? I didn't do that much, to be fair. Uh I carried on drinking on the train back, came back and then went out again. So um it was a lot of fun, to be honest, but I felt like Summer absolute definitely. death. Yeah, I felt like death on Sunday. That was me feeling very sorry for myself, eating huge slices of stuffed crust pizza in front of Netflix. Um, when when I left the brewery, kind of, I think it was at half two. You like come running after me, like, oh, I just love the, I love the extra. You're, you're so, Joff and Freddie, they're rubbish, but you're you're really good, and uh, I really, appreciate, really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah, you're you're definitely welcome, and you guys are smashing it on the extra. Freddie, you got to step your game up, mate. Come on, you know you've been doing this for a while now. You're supposed to be the star of the show. No, well, yeah, I'll, I'll try it. I'm not 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 used to being a host yet. To be fair, it's only taken me what? God, that's how many episodes are doing hosting. But hey, we'll, we'll get there eventually. No, look, he looks like a teddy bear. He's been like shot. So, Freddie, you're doing an amazing job, mate. Keep it up. All right, let's get into what we're doing today. So, first of all, we're going to review the game against Bristol Rovers. Following on from that, we're going to review the goal machine time against uh, Forest Green. And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, after some impressive performances against Forest Green, 
who should start against uh, Leighton Orient. And then we spoke to Adam from the LO Down podcast to find out everything you need to know about the game on Saturday against Leighton Orient. Right. It's been a while since I've done that. So it wasn't the cleanest way. Just getting back into the rhythm, boys. A bit like Pompey were, I suppose, uh, against Bristol Rovers. So let's get a cracking on. Just to start the game, we were big expectations for the game, but we also had our feet on the floor, didn't we? We knew Bristol Rovers were a decent team. They made some smart additions. And we'll come on to some of those additions and how they impacted the game. But just to start off, Rafferty crossed it to the back post. It's cut back by Scully. To be honest, I thought Scully was going to go for goal, but he sort of does the smart thing, really, and lays it across for Bishop. And it ends up going over. Does anyone see if there was a deflection? It looks like there's... It, from the fratted end, it looked like he just blasted it over the bar, but obviously he got a corner. What you take from that, Fred? Yeah, looking at the extended highlights it looked like it, it got a nick on it but I think it might have been one of those that may have been going over the bar anyway so I'm not entirely sure but no I like the fact that Rafferty was high up putting the switching cross and yeah Scully was very smart getting on his right foot and pussy it across to the striker you'd expect to score from there but no it was an early start which was great um, Bristol Rovers fairly aggressive in certain scenarios when they're on the ball and that definitely paid for ports of later on um, with the turnover in the midfield. But it was a hard game. It wasn't easy at all, but Pompey got control of it eventually, but didn't do enough in the end, unfortunately. Jack, I want to hear your point of view on the mix-up in midfield. I mean, I think it was White who lost the ball in the middle for the goal and then Paul tries to step up, doesn't win the ball. It then ends up being played into that space. It's vacated by, by Paul at centre-back and... Fan favourite Giovanni Brown lays it across and Thomas managed to smash it in and it's 1-0 to Bristol Rovers. But what is your take on the sort of positioning, I suppose, from from Pompey there and whether it's just a bit of teething issues and just one of those plays? Yeah, I think it was Pompey X's nose, which is a great account on Twitter. He put up a series of, uh, series of clips where we were just quite frantic and quite panicky in midfield. It wasn't just the goal that highlighted that. Um, there was a series, I think, of Marlon Pack quite a few times everything's just a bit too panicky and a bit too rushed and then you know following on from that picked out position uh, Luke Thomas has got you know the freedom of Portsmouth at the back post to just run in and, and blast home from the uh, from kind of the second six yard box no one picked him up I, I'm not really sure whose responsibility that should have been but yeah you know it's kind of just a consequence of panicking and rushing it just a bit too much yeah, so talking about the other way around, I suppose, second half, we're looking at <clears throat> Pompey going forward, shooting towards the front end. Ball comes out from a corner and Gavin White decides to absolutely smash it on goal. The two wingers obviously got switched up a little bit when we changed it up afterwards, but that was an absolutely clean hit. He smashes it on goal. It's a great save. And Fred, does that show what Gavin White can do from distance, putting things on goal? Well, I hope so, because looking at Gavin White on paper, who was builds to be that starting right winger, especially while Paddy Lane is obviously doing for a few injury tweaks. So he Paddy Lane won't be starting for quite a while. But no, um, a lot of people, some people are doubting the Gavin White signing purely because this stint at Cardiff and then him not necessarily being a goal scorer at Oxford. And you might not want that out of your front three. But he had a positive start, at start to the game, I think. And then Abu Kamara replaced him and did incredibly well, which was brilliant. And the subs, I think, changed the game a fair bit, which is lovely to see. Sadie coming on for Lowry. That mid for free in the first half, me and you were chatting about it a fair bit. 
it was way too flat. And it was where none of the midfielders were dropping closer to the centre-halves to collect the ball. So Paul was having to carry it all the way out and make long-range passings and that type of thing. But then nobody was going towards the wingers and the striker as well. So they were often isolated in the three. And it was oftentimes quite easy to defend against in the first half. But no, Sadie came on and did incredibly well. I really liked how he played. A lot of people have billed him as man of the match, and I think that's absolutely fine. And yeah, it was nice to show that we had options off the bench, but I think that midfield three needs sorting in the future. And it might have been sorted when we discuss a player later on, but I was surprised that even though that all those three midfielders, Pac, Lowry and Morel, they're technically superb, but they're still positionally, they're just not there and they don't link together. Well, they didn't in this game anyway. Yeah, just kind of following on from that about the the complexion of midfield, Morel and Larry especially, they're pretty mid, they're mobile midfielders. They can get around, but they were just so static. They were quite high in the pockets, but they just weren't moving to receive at all. And um, so you know, even if Paul could get it to Pack, Pack could then do nothing because you can't really play out to Towler because he's not the best on the ball. And then you've not got one of the midfielders running and moving around to create that space, a bit of chaos. So, you know, you just end up recycling back to Paul and hoping that he can either A, hit a switch out to the far flank, or, you know, Lucky did once do a mazy dribble and, and progress the ball, you know, 20, 30 yards up the pitch. But it's a real issue. Just There's just no movement there. It's It was so frustrating to watch because you just saw a gaping hole kind of in front of Paul and no one's moving into it to drop. And, you know, from there, you know, you just can't really build and it's... You know, you're playing up and around and not really getting anywhere. Talk about the players who came on and sort of impacted the game. And Sparks came on at left back as well and provided a bit of spark to the game. Obviously, he's got that level where he can put the ball in the box well, he can cross. Um, he did exactly that. He put the ball in the box, he whips it in from the left hand side, and Kamara sort of gets ahead on it but gets clattered at the same time and it goes just wide. But I was looking at even just the positional and sort of like where we attacked. And in this game, only 29% went down the left, 43% going down the right. Very much of much like last season where Ogilvy didn't really get forward as much. I mean, he did have a shot that cannoned off the post, which was quite surprising, I suppose to say. But He was very unlucky not to score there, actually. He it was, was actually yeah. a very nice effort, very clean, very clean through the defender. And that was the follow-up there as well. Um, yeah, very unlucky. Was... I think Ports had a lot of chances, didn't they? Yeah, massively. So I just want to know, Fred, what your opinion is on Sparks and how he impacted the game coming on and whether that's something you think we should see going forward in the, in the next games. I, I like how Sparks came on. I also like the fact that Pompey have also got the option. If Ogilvy's playing really well defensively, you can just put him at the left side of the centre-half. I mean, at the time when Sparks came on, both Towler and Paul were on a booking. So I think one of them had to come off and Paul was playing a bit better. I don't think Towler had a bad game, but it, it wasn't good either it was fairly average it was all right fairly solid but then Ogilvy switches into the center and he 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 looked comfortable in the back four which is really nice um and then obviously Sparks added much needed width and put a lot of crossing into the box and looking at this game Pompey had 41.67 percent crossing accuracy this game from 36 crosses that's a lot. And it was clear what they were trying to do, load the penalty area with the crossing. And depending on which players you have on the pitch, that's a great tactic. And it worked out for the, them in the end, thankfully. But no, Sparks added that dynamism and it really helped the fact that he could push up and support Sadie and Kamara as well. Because um, they made things a bit more attacking when they came on as well. I really liked it. 
And then just before the goal, we had this thing where the ball sort of cycled out and uh, we end we up winning a free kick and Rafferty whips it into the box and Yang is clearly sort of fouled, it looks like, from the replays we've seen. I know Pompey and Canberra showed a bit of a close-up on that one as well. And I think Yang, he said he gets clipped on the heels and it, it isn't given. It's classic League One refereeing, you know, at, at its finest. But we've got a bit of a headache going forward with with whether Joe Rafferty or, or Swanson are going to be in that right-back spot, which we'll come on to in the Forest Green in this Forest Green game. But talk about the goal quickly and Kamara makes some space really with some excellent ball control again. And as, as a bit of last season, he manages to get the ball out to Rafferty who chips it in and Yengi has a lot to do, doesn't he Jack really to get that as a goal? Cause he hasn't got a lot of pace on it. It sort of chipped into him. I'm very glad you started talking about the goal. Cause I did not want to handle a question on, on <laughs> poor referee in league one. No, I was, I was really impressed with Kamara off the bench. I thought he was just so brave and confident, which I kind of expected from him because he's not been hurt by, as I said, the experiences of, uh, you know, wise and DFL fullback yet. But yeah, you know, he's got surprisingly good upper body strength, actually, because he's quite, he's a tall guy, but he's not the, you know, he's not the, the strongest, you know, to look at, um, much like myself. But, you know, he, I think, I can't remember who it was, but he faced it, but just before the goal, he faced up a defender. He was like half thrown in the air <laughs> um, and he managed to retain the ball, cut back and forth and then find Rafferty on the outside who was, uh, who was overlapping. He put the cross in and then uh, Yangi just really impressively just had a stiff arm, held off the defender, nodded it in. It felt like the slowest header of all time. Um, and yeah, you know, you won all. It's a really well-worked goal and, you know, really good bits of individual play, but also good team dynamics. Thank God for all that extra, extra time. Oh, Freddie just wants to dive back into the officiating conversation. I skipped through that, Jack, for you. I just had to mention it. Went you saved me. The- you saved me. <laughs> <laughs> Went straight on to the next one. But as far as it goes, it's one of those games that we could have nicked it, I suppose. But at the end of the day, are we are we happy, Jack, to get to come away with a point? I mean, is that the takeaway? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of discourse kind of going into the game on Twitter saying, we've got to win this game. Otherwise, it's a disaster start. And, you know, we could have lost that game and it wouldn't have been the end of the world. You know, your first game of the season never defined you. Obviously, you want to get off to a winning start. The momentum's great. The confidence is great. But it's a performance that's the important thing for me. And I was enthused and encouraged by quite a lot of what I saw. And um, this might sound weird, but the negatives were quite obvious. So, it's not like you're racking your brains going, oh, why didn't it work out? Why didn't we win there? You kind of, you can identify the issues and, and you know, you can amend them in the future in training and games. But yeah, you know, I, was, I, was, I would have loved to win, obviously, but we didn't really deserve to. So yeah, a, a point was a fair result and, you know, Bristol Rovers are a really good team managed by a totally exemplary human being and Joey Barton. Um, but yeah, no, it's not the end of the world. I was quite happy with it. Can you back it up against Leighton Orient? That's the important thing. Yeah, like Jack mentioned, I thought one all was fair. Um, I think the only frustrating thing is it showed it was similar to a lot of home games to last season that were frustrating. And I think that's why a lot of supporters were annoyed. Looking at the numbers, Pompey had 2.63 expected goals. And you could imagine that with Yengi's header, the Bishop shot that went over and some of the other things. Bristol Rose's expected goals was 1.1 and half of that was Luke Thomas's goal. That was literally their only very, very clear-cut chance of the game and they took it, obviously, with a bit of rubbish defending and a turnover in the midfield to boot. And then Pompey struggled a bit with their chances, even though really a lot of the the build-up play to the penalty area was encouraging. There was that low cross that went right across the six-yard box. I just wish Bishop was a bit further forward. That would have been nice and it could have been a different story. 
but there were some positives. I'm not going to say it was all bad. I liked the pressing. The passes per defensive action was 7.63, which is under eight, which is a high press, which is quite nice. Pompey got a lot of joy in and around the penalty area. And it was just the fact that Bristol Rovers didn't really have a lot in the second half. They had those chances in the first half, took their key one, and then Pompey sort of controlled the game from there. And the substitutions made a big difference, which was lovely to see. I thought Sadie impressed, Kamara impressed, Sparks did when he came on. Paul was excellent with his build-up play and his passing, showing the anomaly of the stats that I brought up a while back. There's definitely something to build on there, but it's a case of if it'll actually happen in the long term. So I understand why some of the fans are a bit deflated, a bit annoyed by it, because, hey, it was another one-all draw where Pompey had boasted the game, but then again, one mistake turned it over to concede, and then Pompey are chasing the game a lot. It's it's a book we've read several times before. It is, and I suppose the substitutions and how we changed it up shows a bit of hope that John Messina is going to have a bit of a headache on how to make this work, but there's lots of options for the team. All right, let's move on to Forest Green. So Poppy made 10 changes with Anthony Scully reta- re- retaining his position in the squad. Forest Green had an early chance. The ball's like bobbled around, it's not cleared out. I think it's Kamara who picks it up on the edge of the box and gets muscled off, off the ball. He gets fouled and the shot comes out, but it goes wide. But there's a little bit of an early inkling then that Forest Green weren't going to be a complete pushover as a team that are relegated to League Two. Um, Fred, how did you think we started this game? Obviously, we got we get back into it later on, but the start was a little slow. Was that concerning to you? I think it was how a side would start, given that there were 10 changes. <laughs> a lot of players didn't know where their teammates were going or what runs they were making and that type of thing. Yengi had that chance in the first two minutes where... It was a poor goal kick from Searle. Swanson won the header, Kamara knocked it on, but then Yengi put it over the bar, which is a shame. But then Portsmouth didn't do very much, pretty much before the Forest Green Rovers goal. And it was it was, it was a good build-up, though, from Forest Green, actually. I was surprised um, if Pompey were to put their foot down on this game and the fact that they had Stevenson-Devlin in that midfield three, I thought they would have been able to lock that up and stop the through ball from Ted and Jenks coming in, but... It turns out it didn't. Yeah, and it's a bit unfortunate, isn't it, Forest Green goal? That attack comes down the right-hand side. and the, It's quite a narrow angle when he gets the shot away. And it's probably a shot that Schofield's going to wish, Jack, isn't it? That he just sort of palmed around the post. Yeah, it's just, you know, their, their forwarder, I can't remember his name, but he, he beat uh, Shaughnessy, uh, Shaughnessy for pace. Shaughnessy did his best. He tried to delay him and close off the angle. And yeah, you know... <laughs> Schofield, he's probably not going to be happy with that one. Um, but, you know, he, he more than made up for it with quite a few uh, nice saves going on later in the game. But, but yeah, you know, Forest Green, there are no pushovers. You know, as much as I hate to admit because he's at Exeter Hampton, they've got a really good head coach in, in David Horseman. I want to say that's David Horseman. That sounds right. Um, speaks really well. He's got the right ideas when it comes to football. And yet, you know, they may have lost their opening game, but there are no pushovers. They're a good side. Yeah, and it was nice to see after that. I think the team were like, right, we actually need to kick this into gear a little bit now. And um, we were in a corner. Scully puts a decent ball in the box. He sort of swings them into the box. And, you know, Yengi connects with it. And it just sort of goes down low at the keeper's feet. And those ones can really go anywhere, can't they? And, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't go in there. But it shows some flashes of what Anthony Scully can do from the corner and maybe why he kept his place in the team, Fred. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he did a reasonable job against Bristol Rovers. So... I mean, really, who, who else would have come in? I'm trying to think who would have come in on the left wing otherwise. But no, he, he played really well. Lighto played both games. 
Yengi looked very solid, I thought, very positionally aware in the right areas, and um, that showed up for the gold, didn't it? Which is a nice finish in the end. Yeah, and it's basically the same, more of the same again, isn't it? Scully into the box. I think Yengi does well here as well, because I think you could expect maybe the Forest Green player to get something on that, and sometimes those balls just bounce past the striker because they don't quite read the flight of the ball when you think the defender's going to get it, but takes two touches in the end, doesn't he? Sort of manages to control it, then bundle it into the net, Jack. Yeah, I, he's such like a physical presence, a bit of a demon. But, you know, he's he's not just, just a big body. He's a good technician. He knows how to use the ball and when to use it. And, and yeah, you know, he kind of pushes the defender out of the way, gets to first contact, takes it down somehow. I'm not sure how. Um, and, yeah, just kind of taps it into a, a bit of an empty net. And, and yeah, that just kind of shows what Yang can do. He has got the box presence and, and the physique to, to influence defenders. But also he's got that nice touch and, and you know close control and and yeah you know that that kind of that blend of qualities and the striker is it's always good isn't it it's, you know it's all well and good being technical but if you get pushed off the ball easily it's not only the ideal and then vice versa right so yeah it's just more of you know these really attractive qualities for for young yeah and it's interesting seeing him sort of lead the line as such because I think we were talking about at the start of the season if. Bishop was to go down effectively, you know, that could be a real problem for us. And I think when me and Jack were talking to Gabe Sutton on on his show before at the start of the season, we're saying, you know, losing Bishop could be a huge problem. Now, we don't want to lose Bishop, let's be honest. He's he's class for us up, up front and et cetera. But Freddie, are you a bit more encouraged that maybe someone could step in if that was the case? No, I like the fact that Yengi seems to have goals in him and the physicality hasn't put him off at all. We mentioned how if he was to play on the right wing, on the left wing, excuse me, he'd be more of an inside forward anyway. He would drift in, he'd be a bit more central. So I don't think playing out wide would suit him really. If he's got the physicality to play up front when Bishop isn't playing, then absolutely he's basically the second striker, especially if Sadie continues to perform well, sort of in that midfield role behind the striker. Then, well, you've got Sadie or Yenge, you can play up front or you can play either of them on the left or... Where, wherever Massinho thinks he can put them really because both of them have played in two games and they've both impressed yeah he talked about Sadie then and you could see that for the goal Zach Swanson goal because obviously he sort of gets the ball he sort of holds onto it well and then he manages to lay the ball off gets it to Kamara who managed to lay it in for Swanson and I think Jack you're talking about how our sort of fullbacks would get forward and Zach Swanson was saying after the game about this goal that he's been told by Messinio, you know, to get forward, to get on the overlap and also to come inside a bit more because I think under Cowley, he was sort of drifting a bit further wide and being told to hold out there. So what's your takeaway from that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm number one Zach Swanson fan in Portsmouth. I absolutely love him. I think he's just a fantastic footballer. He can, I'm not saying like Harry Renner, but he, he can go to right to the very top, you know, if he was playing in the Premier League in three years' time, it wouldn't shock me at all. He is that good. Um, and yet, I think it, back in May, I think it was, I, I tipped Zach Swanson to be a bit more of an inverted fullback, so to speak. You know, he's unbelievably technically secure. He's got the ability to overlap and underlap. Uh, he's comfortable in those midfield roles because uh, of his passing and because of his awareness. And yet, you know, he's also defensively solid and a good ball progressor. So, you know, seeing that... Um, so breaking the goal down. Sadie carrying on from the Bristol Rovers game, being a really physical, physical outfit and, and pushing defenders off whilst also retaining the ball really closely and just waiting for wait for the, uh, the players to move into the right positions. And then, and then yeah, Yangi, uh, not Yangi, sorry, Kamara does what Kamara does. 
slips in Zach Swanson, who at a narrow angle from what I could see, um, yeah, just blast past the keeper. And that is, that's what Zach, Zach can do. I think it's Sean Dyche that said, you know, you've got to play like Kieran Trivia, who's got a big pass at any range. Why would you just limit him to playing short or playing long? And that's like exactly, Zach, you know, you can play on the outside, play on the inside. So why limit that? You know, you've got a great tool there use it and, and yeah hopefully this continues because yeah Zach is just fantastic and I absolutely love him I thought he was man of the match um, in that game for me offered an awful lot and again he has that offensive drive but but defensively he's still incredibly solid positionally he's very aware won his headers an awful lot I really liked how he played and to touch on Abu Kamara he's making me eat my words when I said on the pod before oh god he's barely played any senior football he looks like he's played senior football for a while now, obviously, that might die down like it had with many other lone players, but I hope it doesn't. It, it's, he's got a lot of creativity and tenacity, which I really like, and he showed it in both the games he's played. Yeah, and we saw you know, his ability. We said set up Zach Swanson, but we just saw his sort of ability. We talked about how he held onto the ball well under pressure in the Bristol Rovers game, and then again in this game, it just shows his dribbling ability where he blasts past two players effectively, completely in his own making, some individual skill, moment of magic, and gets into the box and, and you know, draws the penalty there So to put Pompey up. So it just shows how many tools he's got. And he's such an exciting player, Jack. Where would you like to see him play if he is to start? Yeah, so I said on the uh, on the extra last week, or week before, I can't remember when we did it, but he's not, at the moment, he's not a number nine in the EFL. He played there a lot of new football, but, you know, it's, it's a bit less physical, a bit more technical, but at his current body build and the experience. I like him as either a second striker, but maybe not in this system. Um, but at the moment for Pompey, I love him off the right. I think he's so fearless and uh, and brave and confident. He just looks like he has fun. He plays with a smile. He's also really strong and it can hold off defenders. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's got like a, no, like a touch of lightning almost, you know, it's so exciting to watch. He gets the ball and he's just so brave and looks forward and plays. And that's the type of uh, player that people want to watch play. So not only is he effective, but he's also just incredibly entertaining to watch. And I'm just, I'm so excited for him because if we manage him properly and we give him the right exposure and the right minutes, he can, yeah, he, he's got it all. He, he's so fun and so good to watch. Yeah. And then after, after creating the penalty, Yangi steps up and what a penalty that is. He absolutely smashes it top corner to the keeper's right. That just shows what kind of confidence Yangi's playing in. And, and he obviously got taken off as well. And, maybe wanted to get a hat-trick and Messini had a, a comment saying he should have scored the one earlier on in the game if he wanted to have a hat-trick which I thought was a I'm guessing said tongue-in-cheek I reckon people are taking it a little bit out of context being like oh that's a bit harsh da, 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 da. I say a lot of things uh, just to have a bit of a laugh and just to be like well you should have got that one then mate a little tap on the shoulder and I think that's the case then with um, Yengi yeah absolutely um, I read the piece as well in the news about that and essentially Messino basically said he's trying to keep an eye on his minutes, keep an eye on his, in his football. Obviously, I think it was um, Petr Petrov who mentioned previously that Yengi would be a great player as long as he's injury-free and his fitness is looked after and maintained. So the fact that he's played a full 90, full 90 minutes between both of those games, the result was pretty sewn up. Yengi's the sort of character, it seems anyway, that he wasn't bothered about being taken off after he scored the pen at least. Allow Bishop to come on, have quarter of an hour, um, extra fitness as well. And we know we know what Pompey are like when we have loads of injuries, like any other side, that the flow just goes and the game plan just goes. So Messina has to work incredibly hard to 
try and rotate his side as best he can in the cup games and uh, maintain everybody's fitness and reduce the risk of injury. I don't know how true this is because I saw it on Twitter, so it might it might be rubbish. But apparently, uh, Bishop was already on the touchline, re- ready to come on when we won the penalty. So you could make an argument where Messino could have hooked uh, Yangi before the penalty was taken, but he let him take it. It was clearly um, you know pre-planned to manage his minutes. And yeah, it, ugh, the comments again—they were probably tongue in cheek, and it's just using a motivational tool. Um, and yeah, I, I hardly doubt Cassini has any issues with it. It would surprise me if he did. And, and yeah, I, I see no issue with it really. Um, yeah, it's, it feels it's in the, sorry, sorry. Um, it's in the story <laughs> that it was already pre-planned. So um, yeah, exactly. There's exactly. nothing well, to it yeah. really. Yeah. We're talking about how flat we were in the centre of midfield at the start of the game against Bristol Rovers. Um, everyone's been crying out for a new player to come in. We got Alex Robertson, obviously from Man City, he came in. And Jack, how do you think when he came on in this game, he sort of impacted it from the positional play of, of how he sort of like moves and passes and moves? He can clearly sort of travel the ball, progress it forward with his feet and, and sort of link up play well there. So obviously it's a cameo. Everyone's got super excited about him already. You know, what kind of dynamics do you think he brought to this game in particular? Yeah, I mean, uh, I could think, was it Monday when we signed him? I, I spent a lot of time watching his uh, his games. I watched four in particular. It was Australia versus Argentina, Australia versus Ecuador, Australia, no, uh, Man City versus Girona and uh, Manchester Under-21s versus Grimsby. And the qualities I saw him in there, you know, he's just so composed he wants the ball. He can dictate tempo. His movement is phenomenal. He's always scanning, um, always readjusting. And yeah, that's exactly what we need in a midfielder at the moment. And he showed that when he came on, you know, that clip when I won't say viral, but a lot of people saw it of him picking up a, a halfway line, not making someone out, someone driving past another, slipping it through for, I can't remember who it was in the end. But yeah, just that in certain players, they just have, that, that quality that's so clear to see and you know you get a midfielder that's been tutored by Pep Guardiola arguably the greatest coach of all time they're going to have something special and and yeah Alex has that in abundance I think he is going to be such a huge player for us if he can uh, you know get rid of some of his little, little injuries he's picked up but yeah just just class just utter class <laughs> that's, that's all I really got on him really but yeah I love him It said a lot that he came out and knew some senior had seen him three times in person had been keeping an eye on him since February, February, March time. And it was also mentioned that Pompey even made an inquiry to sign him permanently. Now, that was in the news and basically they just asked him and City said, gave them a fee that was obviously not in Pompey's budget for quite obvious reasons since he's an international player at 20, but there we are. It also it says a lot that apparently, according to FBL.com in Australia, apparently a lot of clubs are after him for loans, clubs in Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, other League One clubs, Bronby and Denmark as well in their top division. So it seems a bit of a coup that Pompey got him. Obviously, I'm going to mention this purely to piss Jack off more than anything, the 77 minutes of senior football, senior league football, I should say, not internationals. That does worry me, but it seems like purely from the sort of player he is, and the role he'll be asked to play. He seems like a solid fit for that more creative centre midfielder. And he came on the Forest Green game, looked lively, looked sharp. And especially with Lowry injured, I think it's the case for Robertson to probably start against Lane Orient, I would assume, if he's fit. Well, we're going to come on to that in a little bit more detail in the listener question, Freddie. Um, I love you teeing that up. So let's go into it. 
unless you've got anything else to say. I mean, I was going to mention Colby Bishop. He's got that header on, on target. which was a keeper pushed over. Nice to see him doing what Colby does. But have yeah, there's there there only a few bits and bobs. There's only a few bits and bobs. Um, the mate. press in this game is also very good with 7.05 passes per defensive action. I like that, how that carried over. 2.3, one expected goals. Solid again. Barely created, barely let any chances away. Royce Green had 0.33 expected goals. And from there, Pompey were incredibly solid. But the only bit of stats thing we have left since it's a new season, we've got to play Guess the XG again. Guess the XG. Andy's very sad that he's not here for the first part of the season where Guess the XG will be played. I bet he's really sad. But I bet you two are excited anyway. I live for this. This is the only reason I came on. Just so I'm so excited. Andy's sobbing somewhere, you know, crying whilst marking essays. So I don't know. I'm here. I'm ready for this. Let's get let's get involved. Come on, let's let's do this. I mean, Andy's goofed up on on strong opiate painkillers at the moment in time. So would probably be just that was before the shoulder injury as well. (laughs) Just yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going. I guess the XG. No, poor Andy. Um, get well. Good impression. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go for it. No pressure at all against Jack, who literally should put XG as his middle name. Let's go for it, friend. No, 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 let's not do this. <laughs> We're the pressure on already. Right. So we were, we talked about Cassini Yangi an awful lot. So what in the Forest Green Rovers game? What was his total? What was his expected goals for the two goals for the for the goal from the corner and obviously the penalty? Hugh, I'll let you go first because you're the host. I'll, I'll be I mean, kind. I'll let you go first. <laughs> I was about to say, come on, I will be nice being the host and go first. I'm going to say, let's have a think about this slightly. Yeah, so just a reminder, it's just, for the, it's just for the two goals, not any other chance he had in the game. Fine. I'm going to go with 0.85. Jack. Uh, you've gone lower than I thought you would, actually. I'll go... I don't know how Andy does this every week. This is really stressful. Um, dum, dum. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll insert that later on. It's the like weakest link. Uh, 1.12. Well, Jack's the closest. Um, yeah, Yangi's, oh, Yangi's XG. Oh, that's was, for Andy. That's yeah, for Andy. Yeah, yeah. Yangi's XG for those two goals was 1.26. So remember, 0.76 for the pen. Andy was giving us 0.5 for his header for the back throws in the corner. So yeah, well done, Jack. Thankfully, he didn't cheat beforehand. That's what I was worried about. But no, I'll, uh, and this season I'll mark uh, guess the XG all the way through, so I didn't have to do it in a blind fit of we panic like at the 90, end of the series. Per ninety time. stats, the per ninety stats, you know, because I'm a, I'm probably only being like three times this year, so per it wouldn't be stat. fair. If it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Not? <laughs> we'll, we'll do two categories. We'll do both of those. And um, it's a nice touch for you doing that thing where you're wearing the uh, Get Well Soon Andy t-shirt underneath you on here. Because it's not a video podcast. So uh, yeah, Jack, Jack said I've got, it's for you, I've got Andy. I've uh, got a big pose of him. Uh, his face is photoshopped onto a centaur. Um, there's a rainbow. There's a pot of gold. That's Randy. He'd love that. Um, my thoughts go out to you, Mr. Mitchell Moore. Right. Let's move on since I lost. We put a question out to you guys and thanks to everyone that messages in. Really makes the show. We appreciate you guys every week messaging into this. And we asked you, after some great individual performances against Forest Green Rovers, who should effectively start in the game? What changes did John Messinio make to this squad against Leighton Orient? 
Nigel Lawrence messaged it and he said, Sparks should be absolutely nailed on to start a left back. Robertson for Lowry. Would still start Colby up top, but Yengi's a good option to freshen it up in the second half if needed. It's an interesting point here. Um, Jack, are we going to say that Colby starts up top and Yengi's used as a, a, almost a super sub? Or do you think there's a way of fitting them both into this team? I think the only way you could fit it in would probably be a 3-5-2. But I don't think I don't think um, senior would do that. I, I've got my preferred lineup here. Um, I'm sure I can run for it later if you want me to. Um, it's a 3-4-3. And I can't fit Yengi in without playing Bishop. I personally would start Bishop. Um, just to kind of manage Yangi's minutes and you know you've got to play like that off the bench it's just so much um, his gravitas almost um, and so much he's so raw and so aggressive um, off the bench yeah Yangi's great um, and yeah on Sparks I'd absolutely start Sparks uh, at left wing back I think he's fantastic I think he offers a lot of drive a lot of technical ability and he can cross a ball really really well which we have kind of missed over the years so yeah I would start Sparks and start Bishop Fred, if we start in Sparks at left back, I'm still trying to think who pairs Regan Paul at centre back. Do we think it's going to be Riley Towler again from the last game, or does that get changed up? Does Shaughnessy come in, or do we even mix it up and push Ogilvy into that position? Well, it's a tough one because if you play, I assume it will be a back four again because Pompey seem allergic whenever they play a three of the back formation, apart from that very brief period under Danny Cowley where they did for a bit. What a time to be alive that was, by the way. Oh, God. Um, great two weeks. <laughs> absolutely. But no, I think Sparks' performances, of, he deserves to start at left back and it offers proper dynamism when Pompey are favourites to win the game, even though they're away from home. I don't think Leighton already got many very tall attackers and strikers. So that's a positive because obviously if you're playing Sparks and Paul, your back four is generally a bit shorter, which is a bit of a concern for me. I assume Rafter will start at right back, even though Swanson played really well. Centre half was a tough one. I, again, I thought Towler was solid against Bristol Rovers. I don't think I don't think his performances would lead to him naturally being dropped. Shocknessy and um Raggett played well against Forest Green, but aside from that one chance they had, Forest Green didn't offer that much. Fairly solid. I assume he would start Towler purely because of the you know, that, that that link to try and build a centre-half partnership. And I thought, against Bristol Rovers, I thought that was okay. And I would assume a lot has been said about Robertson. If he's fit, I assume he would start instead of Lowry. If he's not fully up to speed, then I think Sadie deserves it, purely because of the performances he's put in so far. And his sub-appearance against Bristol Rovers showed that basically the midfield can link with the attackers again. So either either Sadie or Robertson for me in that position and Bishop up front because it's it's Colby Bishop. He is your starting striker. And if we've got to manage Yengi's minutes, then keep him off the bench for now and then slowly build him on if he performs better than Bishop over time, I think. Lewis Pete messaged in and he says, people won't like it, but I think the starters from last week get another go to the match effort made by the second team last night. Only change I'd make is Robertson in for the injured Lowry and maybe Sparks for Ogilvy to give us more going forward. Do you think sometimes we get a little bit excited, boys, about we've had loads of players have this great game, etc. They get given a chance, and maybe we say we insert them into the team straight away, but do you think it's going to be a case of just those small changes, maybe, just where Lowry's injured? And do you think, Jack, that he, Lowry would actually come out the team if he wasn't injured, for instance? And 
Or is it just going to be a, because he's injured, it's the perfect opportunity to maybe change him out? Yeah, I mean, a criticism I'd have of John Messina and kind of last year it didn't really apply because of his options, but a lot of the time his midfield selections do play a bit safe, um, kind of annoyingly so at times. So I would, especially when you're away from home, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have shocked me if when they're all fit, he would have started Morel, Larry and Pack. It wouldn't be my selection. I'd personally, I'd play a 3 4 3 and have Robertson and Stevenson in the middle if they're both fit and ready. Um, but maybe I'm just a, a contrarian. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think Robertson will start up equally. I would hate it if Sadie started in the middle. Um, you know, saying that a month ago, I'd be like, what? A striker in midfield. But if Joel Linton can do it, our Christian can definitely do it. Just trying to set me up, aren't you, for Joss' question? Who messes in and says, I'm, just, I'm teeing you up, mate. Oh, there we go. There you go, Andy. You've got to try and help me out with that. Joff mentioned it and said, I've enjoyed seeing Sadie as one of the eights recently. Do you think you see a future for him there? As this may be a case of misprofiling of the player, you know, like Joel Linton. Do you think that's the case there? I'll just send it back to you, Jack, since you touched on that point. Yeah, I feel like kind of strikers are possibly the most misprofiled position in football. Uh, last season, for me, that was Joe Piggott. You know, Joe Piggott, he might have scored 20 goals for like, uh Wimbledon a couple of years ago but he's not that fit. he's not that for me I firm as a number 10 or a second striker where he can facilitate other players rather than you know have the burn the goal scoring and and Christian Fasadi is possibly similar he's a really destructive player let's not talk about positions here let's just talk about qualities he's a destructive physical technician who thrives not on the last line kind of between the the the, the last line and the second line that's an attacking midfielder right so, you know, it, you couldn't play against all teams because it wouldn't work. But if you play Sadie there, you can get him really high and really advanced. And then I won't touch on it too much because I could do an entire podcast about this, but you could play a box midfield, for example, with him at the top. And yeah, you know, he's got all the qualities to be a great midfielder. And he played really well against Forest Green Rovers in midfield. Um, when I saw the lineup, I assumed it was, you know, a 4 4 2, for example. It wasn't, it was a 4 3 3 of Sadie in midfield. And yeah, I see no reason why that can't continue against certain opponents. He's shown the quality in that Bristol Rovers game, and he was a bit. I thought he was mainly a bit more advanced than the eight. He was he when Pompey were on the attack, he was in and around the edge of the penalty area an awful lot, and that allowed Pompey to switch from one wing to the other quite well, and also allowed him to press the defenders as well. I really like that, almost like a a four two three one, a bit more in possession, but he can drop back a fair bit. My only concern is obviously we'll touch on this. Later on, Leighton Orient have got a very strong centre of midfield and they can potentially control the game. So maybe having a player in there who's only played in that role a few times, that, that might lead to some issues. I'm not sure. Again, it could be seen if you start Robertson there, it could be seen as you can bring the sort of Sadie, Yengi sort of combination on to have that sort of like physical and sort of like pace impact on the game. It'd be interesting to see if that's the case and we're sort of chasing the game and applying some more pressure, whether those two can come on and add a bit more impact there if you don't start them in midfield. Yeah, just one idea on that, actually. I've just started you know, thinking about it. You could play a midfield three of uh, Paco Simonson, Robertson and Sadie and then have Zach Swanson invert into the midfield. And then you've got a four, um, kind of a box almost, that can really control the midfield and control the tempo. Although maybe there would be questions about how defensive it is, how defensively stable it is. 
that's why maybe you'd put Stevenson in there instead of Pack. But yeah, you know, it just offers a lot of different dynamics and, and, and options. And I think at times we can get down, uh, bogged down a bit in terms of formations and you know, is it a 4 3 3? Is it a 4 2 3 1? Is it a 4 4 2? Whereas maybe you should look at the qualities and uh, in kind of the areas of influence and areas of responsibility a player has. And yeah, I'm kind of going down a tangent here because I'm kind of thinking as I'm, I'm talking as I'm thinking. I don't know, maybe at that midfield wouldn't have enough defensively, but there is a lot of options there that John Messina has at his disposal. So you can't, he can't come out and say he's not got the tools to to beat certain teams because there are so many options in there and we just haven't really had that over the last couple of years. Fred, Jack talked about Stevenson then and sort of like he'd like to see him in the midfield on a personal level. And, you know, Pack struggled a little bit in the game against Bristol Rovers. Um, we also mentioned a little bit about, you know, Lowry, Morel, maybe not make, giving him any movement in front of him. Do you think if the players in front of him are fixed that, you know, Pack's game will improve there and therefore, you know, he should retain his position in the squad, ideally? Or do you think Stevenson adds a bit more sort of pass and move and as something a bit different in that position? I think Stevenson does add the pass and move aspect, but I think Pack is just much more stable defensively. And I think in a in a 4-3-3, you do need one. Personally, for me, I think one of your midfielders should be more defensively responsible, asked to do the trickier things. And he's still very incredibly, Pack's still incredibly technical. He can hit a ball on a sixpence to the wide areas and play a very smart through ball. Very good set-piece taker as well. He has a lot of qualities. Bristol Rovers game wasn't his best game. I think that's because the midfield three sort of didn't know what they were doing and didn't know who was tasked with what. I think with more defined roles and the leadership qualities he has, I still think Pack should be the starter unless he has several games on the spin where he's just not showing it. And I think for Massinho, I think it will take an awful lot for him to drop Pack for Stevenson or another midfielder, I think. I guess I guess it could also be like new shiny thing syndrome almost where you've got Stevenson or oh my dogs are barking. Every time I record this podcast, my dogs bark. And yeah, you know, you've got the new shiny thing in Stevenson or Robertson and you go, Oh, well, you know, we'll drop pack. But maybe that maybe that's, you know, it was just one game against Bristol Rovers. He looks a bit panicky at times. But then he still had the quality, you know, he, he can pass the ball, he can drop him between defenders. He's okay. You know, he's solid defensively. I think okay is harsh. He's solid defensively. So and, you know, kind of linking it back to one of the questions earlier, maybe, you know, we just let the the players that started um, against Bristol Rovers or most of them, let them have another game because that was just one game. It's a really good team. So maybe it was a bit of an outlier. And it wasn't a bad game either. They created a lot of chances in that game. And I know the subs helped a lot when they came on, but that's the entire point of substitutions. They're there to impact the game and they grew into it eventually. And really the, only main floor was the midfield and that's changing for next game anyway it's fairly obvious it just depends how much Samuel messages in and he says might need to take, change the formation to fit Yangi in I think we touched on that already and potentially will he work with Bishop will he not but yeah it's a good point if you want to change it up to make to fit the two in it, it could potentially have some sort of like downsides to where we play else on the pitch so I'm not keen to go to a 4-4-2, for instance, which I don't know some people have actually put up online. Maybe we should just switch to a 4-4-2 and play the two together. So I, I think we're, we're going to see one or the other for the moment, and then we'll just see how that balances out. Um, Sonny meshed in and says, do you think we need more of the box midfield? think it would work with the right personnel in the right positions. 
I think Jack's touched on that. I know that you mentioned Swanson earlier on, Jack, and when we signed him, signed him from Arsenal, um, one of the guys who I spoke to from from Arsenal.com who covered him for the academy was telling me that Zach can play either as a right-sided centre-back, a right-back, or a right-sided midfielder. He does feel in, in midfield sometimes. He, he will keep drifting wide and then cutting in, which is fine. But it's it's sort of like being a very athletic player back to front, but maybe not as much coming inside to the middle. So how do you think that works in the box? Yeah, so I remember back on Foot Manager 19, 2019, at the, I used to do quite a lot of uh, lower league saves. And Zach Swanson always got released by Arsenal at the, at the, uh, the start of the first season. And this is relevant, I promise you. And I used to always sign him because he could play right back, left back, centre back, midfield. And that's what you want when, you, when you've got a full back inverting into, into a box midfield. And as I said, this, we could talk about this for an hour, so we'll keep it relatively brief. But yeah, you know, in possession, start a right back, invert into the midfield, and then out of possession, you drop back. You need a lot of athleticism for that. You need good football and IQ. You need to be technically secure. Uh, and you need to have a 360 degree awareness because a lot of fullbacks, and most fullbacks actually, you know, you play with 180 degrees because you've only you've got you know half the game in front of you. Whereas when you're in the midfield, You've got everything going around you. It's busy. It's chaotic. We all saw that Yuri Tiedemann's video where he had the camera strapped to his chest. It's nuts at times. It's crazy. And, and you know, Zach's experience at uh, playing at left-back, playing midfield, playing at centre-back, that will really help. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, we'll have any fullback invert because, for example, Joe Rafferty, I don't think he could do that. I don't think he could invert into midfield. No fault of him. He just can't do it because it's a real, I had a voice crack and I get really passionate. He just can't do it, you know. Um, not every player can. So you have to get you know, really, uh, really good technique. And, and personally, Zach has it. And we saw Conor, o- Conor Ogilvy do it against Bristol Rovers for about five minutes and it worked. But again, he's not perfect for the role. So yeah, you've got to have the right player to do it. And just a quick one here, both of you, I want to know yes or no. Start Swanson over Rafferty, yes or no? Fred? No. Jack? Yes. <laughs> oh, a bit of podcast beef. I like that. I'd like to see Zach Swanson play, but I think he'll start Rafferty. That's my... This is how the, this is how the extra ends. We're just going to fight over, over right backs. <laughs> Freddie's already been working on his sword skills in order to do that. Does kendo as well, by the way, Jack. So you better watch out. Oh, so I'll take it all back. Start Joe Rafferty. I'm terrified. The, beard, the bearded master over there with his kendo stick. Kieran Fox messages in and he says, with us playing inside forwards off Bishop and an attacking eight in a three-man midfield, what is our best attacking four, including the eight? Personally, Kieran thinks it's Yingy, Robertson, White and Bishop. Maybe Sadie pushed higher behind Bishop instead of Robertson. What are we saying then, Freddie? What is your best attacking four? Ooh, so I think. Uh, Bishop up top, please. I'll probably go... Scully on the left wing set up one of the goals. It's impressed for me at this very moment since Larry and Morel don't fit that eight role. Sadie, because I haven't seen Robertson play. So I may be persuaded later. And I still think Gavin Wright at right wing. I think the front three that started against Bristol Rovers will come good eventually with the other options making the, that front three even better later on. Jack, are you agreeing with Freddie? Um, not completely. I'll go. I'll go. Bishop up top. Scully on the left. 
For the midfielder, I'll go, because I spent basically the entire afternoon and evening watching him, I'll go for Alex Robertson or Alexander Sean Pablo Robertson, if we're going to full name him. And I'll go with, I'll go with Abu Kamara at, at right wing, because I think he's got that bit of dynamism and that bit of you know, uh, braveness and confidence. But yeah, honestly, the, the abundance of options we have, the only area we're really like light in, so to speak, is probably left wing because Scully is kind of the only like nailed on option there. But yeah, you know, we've just got options coming out of our ears. You know, there's midfielders and attackers for days. It's definitely no right or right, wrong answer after one league game in that sense. But I'm going to go Kamara, Bishop, Scully, and just to mix it up, I'm going to go Sadie. Just stick myself in the middle. Let's, let's, let's have a little bit of difference, a bit of variety, spice of life kind of stuff going on here. Samuel Meshton, he says, might need to change the formation to fit Yengi in. I might have read that already, actually. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a true fact, isn't it? So, you know, if it's that nice, you've got to say it twice. Um, all right, guys. We've got one more question, and that comes from Pompey X Nose. And he says, with both Rafferty and Swanson fitting in good form, what situations would determine one selection over the other, both from the point of view of Pompey as posing a strategy on the game or responding to an opponent's particular strength? Now, we spoke about the two, who should play, who should not. Is there a situation, do you think, Freddie, where one fits better than the other? Potentially. I think if the opposition has a left-back who doesn't deal with someone dribbling at him, I think... Swanson is perfect for that because I think Swanson is slightly more aggressive on the overlap than Rafferty is. Even though Rafferty gets up and down very well, he's more of a, a deeper crosser of a fullback, which I do like. And to be obviously got an assist in the first game, I like both of them. But especially, you can look at it and say if you're going to be, if Pompey going to be on top for certain, and if the left side is very weak and prone to players dribbling at them and overlaps, then. Swanson White or Kamara Swanson that will cause the opposition a lot of problems but if you want a more solid option where Pompey wants to load the penalty area and with deeper crosses I think Rafferty is the best play and I think I still think Rafferty is the go-to first choice and that's not to take anything away from Swanson he's a great player but Rafferty is still up there in age and experience for me It's literally one of those situations as well isn't it where there is probably our best position of who we've got we're sort of spoiled for choice there as well um obviously zach's got the the sort of the years ahead of him i suppose in comparison but we'll see if the dynamic changes this season at all but jack do you anything to add from what freddie said about tacticalness and setting up with who plays who against what opposition or do you think we just play our game and the opposition can deal with it i think uh kind of touched on the competition for spaces you've got a, a right back in excuse me you got right back in rafferty that is arguably one of the best right backs in the division. You've got another who's one of the best right backs in the division and could potentially benefit from the league one day. That's so good to have. And, you know, we've got a lot of competition midfield, for example, but I don't think it's as um, kind of neck and neck as, as Rafferty and Swanson. And just on what would dictate, you know, who you start, we're probably going to start back four. I'd love, I suppose, like a 3 4 3, but personally, I can't see it happening. If you play a team that clogs up the middle, you might want to use that box midfield, which would mean you'd have to start um, start Swanson because he's the only one out of them two that's capable of inverting into midfield. Um, so yeah, but you kind of I totally agree with Freddie as well. Um, but yeah, if you've got a team like, for example, Bristol Rovers who clog up the midfield, I'd, I'd consider starting Swanson over Rafferty. There you go. I hope that helps. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's appreciated, as always. Let's move on. Bridges, a bridge too far for the Eisners. Let's have a, let's have a think about that because there is a bit of news, Freddie, isn't there, about surveying a bridge. I want to know what kind of bridge it is. I want to get your newspapers to do some real investigative journalism, please, Freddie. I know you've got so many resources. You're so overstaffed. And quite frankly, this is the kind of thing you should be doing in your work hours. I want to know what sort of bridge is planned to be made. Is it a giant bridge? Is it the Golden Gate Bridge, as Jack was saying? Or is it maybe like a wobbly barbed wire infested bridge like you get when you come off South Bermondsey Station on the way to Millwall as an away fan? I wish that I wish that bit you said about resources was true. But anyway, so Michael Eisner's angry about Network Whale because they're he's in his eyes, they're stalling about the railway bridge. And he said that essentially the multi-million pound North Stanbury development won't happen without it, purely from a health and safety ground, he said in the news. Essentially, the company are apparently refusing to commit 15 grand to a feasibility study over building the footbridge. And basically what that means is it's a study where the footbridge will be constructed. It'll be like health and safety stuff. And it will go through planning provision and that type of thing because they don't want to spend all that time setting those plans to build a bridge. And then it goes to planning and it's rejected on a technicality. That's basically what they want to get out of. Michael Eisner basically said as well that the uh, C- uh, the chief executive of Network Rail is not fit for purpose. Brilliant. That's probably the most aggressive thing that I've heard him say in quite a while. And he's adamant that the, fu- uh, the funding for that study isn't the motivating factor. Essentially, he thinks that the bridge is essential for the stand to be redeveloped, in his opinion. And he basically said that since... Also, South MP Stephen Morgan, the council, the people who own the Pompey Centre, which is that business mall centre in Fratton, and the club, since they're all on board, Network Wales should approve the study, help the councillor, help them basically plan the footbridge so it's easier for fans to get from Fratton Park to the ground in a nutshell. Nice idea, but it is a private company. And you're basically asking a private company to pay out their own pocket for something which they may not see as a direct benefit. And considering the amount of flat that Network Rail are getting with wider news stories about train strikes and so on, they want to save as much money as they can everywhere, to be honest. So I don't see that money for the feasibility study coming off. And it basically leaves that development at a standstill if that study in the footbridge is the main bit. Yeah, like so I read a book, um, really good book on football called Stockonomics. And in that, there's a section where it essentially talks about the rules of the transfer market and, and what you should really do. And there's a bit where, why would you pay uh, you know, millions for a striker, for example, but you won't pay 10 grand to get them settled and get their family in the area, get them in schools, language learning, that kind of thing. I think it kind of can kind of be applied here. Um why would you pay, and it's got to be millions for the, the North Stand extension, why would you pay that, but you're not willing to to pay, you know, the 15 grand to facilitate that? That doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and you know, I found the comments about the not fit for person quite amusing. Um, it's a bit old man yells at cloud, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm sick of hearing about bridges. And the only bridge I'd be interested in if we had like a, I don't know, like a, I'm instead of getting me out of here, type rope bridge, maybe that'd be quite good. That'd be entertaining. And, you know, that would probably, you know, it would make the, the, the journey from Fratton station to Fratton park 
the the life or death scenario like Michael Eisner makes it out to be. Um, you know, seeing people wobble, that would be quite entertaining and that would be money well spent in my opinion. Where is this? I mean, like, from my perspective, think about this, though. I know you said you're taking your life in your own hands every time you stroll from Fratton Park Station to the ground, which... That literally is a cons- hot spot for, for death. I've never considered it being remotely dangerous. And I don't think many Pompey fans have. I mean, like, yeah, you got to wander in the road, cars stop, same at every football ground, every single football ground. You walk out of Spurs ground, there's traffic all over the roads in London. You walk out, people are just crossing the road generally, all that kind of malarkey. Like, I just don't see this as a problem. I really don't. Um, if you're that bothered about it, Michael, you should just get an Uber, get an Uber or whatever. <laughs> but I'm just not really quite sure what this issue is. And where is this bridge even going to go? Is it going to go like over the rail line, like suspended in the air? Or I, I just think it's a load of rubbish. Um, and again, if you're not willing to pay 15 grand, let's be honest, it's a couple of players' weekly wage. Um, just get on top of it. it. Seems to be there's more that we don't know about this situation. But do you know what, Fred? I'm not going to dwell on this topic because I'm not really that bothered about it because I can never see us building a bridge a bit like the Pringle in the harbour with the Louis Vuitton um, shop underneath the bottom of it. I just think it's going to be jotted down again as another one of those pie-in-the-sky projects. No, it seems like there's going to be not very much end to it. And a lot of people think this next comment is pie in the sky as well. Apparently, Michael Eisner said that he might push the playing budget for a promotion in certain scenario. He said the club has already adjusted to rely less on loans. So it seems that the board are very much against that now. They want the loan market as supplementary rather than taking over. And there was that large stat in the most recent accounts where a high proportion of wages are on loan players and then they just go away and Pompey had to rebuild their squad again. Really, there's not much else to say about that, but he just says, oh, we'll adjust the paying budget if the opportunity's there. Well, in my opinion, the opportunity is this season because look at the basket cases who have come down for the championship this season and then look at the strong teams who are in League 2 who are spending ridiculous amounts of money to get promoted, Wrexham, Notts County, Stockport, etc. And then look at some of the teams in the championship who are going down this, who may go down for next season. They're going to be much stronger unless they completely capitulate. I think the only other thing that was interesting in that story, it was one line of it. Apparently the club had gone from two scouts to 11, which is huge in my opinion. And they've also added more technology for video scouting. And that goes with the fact that Yengi, for example, was entirely video scouted because he's literally on the other side of the world. And if Pompey can keep on tapping into that and more resources goes into that, then brilliant. But the I think for me, the opportunity is now for promotion, I think purely down to the status of the league as a whole. And that's why a lot of Pompey fans think promotion is still the goal for this season. Anything less is a failure. That's what a lot of people think anyway. It does kind of, it feels like a, they're patting themselves on the back of it where maybe it's not deserved. Like, I'm not sure it's as much of a flex as you think it is saying, if it, the opportunity is there, we're going to push the playing budget. That's a bit like, well, that's kind of what you should be doing. You know, you're behaving as you should be. Um, and yeah, you know, I was just chatting to a scout at the club um, and he was saying how, you know, this is apparently the the scouting department is the best it's been, you know, since the Premier League days, apparently. And, you know, sure, maybe there's a bit of bias in there because, you know, it's an appointment for the club. But, you know, the nine extra scouts, if my maths don't fail me, and, you know, those added technologies for the video scouting, that just broadens your horizons. And, you know, 
again, it does kind of feel like we should have been doing that anyway, but you know, it's yeah, why, why do we guess. only have two more of us doing this podcast <laughs> than Pompey had as a scouting team? Um, it is good though. It seems to me that's the influence someone like Rich Hughes has comes in a sporting director and he's like, hold on a second. The blind guy with the dog and uh, the other guy who's a friend of the family, who is the scouting team. We need to, we need to shake this up now and actually put in actual video scouting. We need more than two people to do it. So they're all good to see. It just shows a little bit how much there was to go from, from before, I suppose, to make us a, uh, a good team and I won't bang on about us now because we're near the end of the podcast but we next thing we need to do is look at the the academy and the, the potential having a U23 team oh that's the bingo card ticks off there you <laughs> people go, waiting for that little bit just needs to happen look at Plymouth and I'm building a massive place I won't get into it now Fred what's the next thing we need to look at the news because I did have an agenda but I've lost it yeah literally the only small bit is um, Tom Lowry's injury Andy Moon said they're still waiting the results of a scan Messino said he came off against Bristol Rovers and he had, in quotes, a little knee injury and said there was swelling and some fluid there. Not related to the previous injury as far as I, as far as I read. It's just a concern that, again, Tom Lowry is on the injury table and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. And the only other thing I saw was that the handbags at Forest Green in the tunnel, uh, Messinos brushed it off as a load of nothing. So that was, that was something that was not grown out of proportion, but something that did happen, but there wasn't a lot to it. Would it be would it be morbid to take bets on when Tom Lowry turns from injury? Because my money is on my, November's looking good. I'm going to say November, but it does feel a bit morbid, doesn't it? I think he's going to return for November for sure. He's just going to yeah. turn, yeah. Come back with it. Come for back for the people. The, for the people. Come, come back with the tash, raising loads of money for charity on the way up there. Cheating, obviously, starting in October, which is is a no for November. But you know, Tom Lowry's going to do. I've it been start, I've been started since 2003, so. You're going strong there, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's, you got you know. Obviously, it's a video, uh, an audio podcast. You know, it just picture me with like a really big beard, and you've got a, you've got a good impression of things. He, you basically look like a Mexican cowboy right now. You know, like bearded down the bottom. Yeah. Fred, Fred is really jealous. It's, uh, he is so jealous. He is. <laughs> we spoke to Adam from the Lo Down podcast to preview everything to do with the Leighton Orient game which you better have had your finger on the buzzer quickly if you wanted a ticket because it sold out in like 10 minutes. We talk about Leighton Orient, expectations of the season, how they set up tactically, how he hopes to utilise Joe Pickett and all the other players, injury news, all that malarkey you're always used to. So here is Adam from the LO Down podcast. All right, I'm here with Adam from the LO Down podcast. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I've nice beer. Nice one, mate. So the feel around Leighton Orient, obviously you're, you're new to the league, got promoted last season. Usually we have an understanding of clubs who have been around the division and we spoke to them on the podcast, you know, what the sort of fans are feeling. But since you guys have come up, what, what sort of like position would be okay? Is it survival? Is it is acceptable this season? Or do Orient fans want you to push on more? I think it's a mixture. Um, I'm realistic. I'd like, if someone said to me 16th, place at the beginning of the season I'd happily take it um I think the board have essentially come out via Martin Ling and said that we're aiming for the middle eight to be in the middle eight so that could be anything from ninth to 16th so you know I think consolidation is pretty much is key so just staying up uh, a lot of the fan base like momentum so they feel like under Richie Wellams we we've got this base of a squad 
that we've built a little bit on, but we've got injuries as well. So they, they're now up in arms because now they're feeling that we're going to get relegated. It swings and roundabouts and what we were saying off air before, you know, you can't win, can you? Richie Wellens is obviously better than League Two. So let's give him a crack at League One. I'm pretty sure with the players he's got, especially the players we've retained as well, we should be okay. What do you think of the transfer business, Adam? Looking at just the list off the top of my head, there are some names that pop out there. Dan Agi was a big one. He did very well at Crew, and there's some links with Portsmouth there. Jordan Graham, who did very well at Gillingham in League One a couple of seasons ago. Obviously, we know about Joe Piggott as well. Does the transfers strengthen the squad, or like you said earlier, is it more important about the players that you kept rather than the new ones coming in? Well, let's look at the, the guys that we've kept in terms of got back in. So uh, Idris El Mazzouni was by far and away one of the best midfielders in League Two last season. And he was head and shoulders above every player on the pitch at Charlton on Saturday. Um, getting him back on for another year's loan, especially when some bigger clubs in League One and lower, you know, clubs in the lower echelons of the championship were were angling for him for a season. Uh, that's a coup. Um, so as long as he keeps fit, well, midfield should be pretty solid. Uh, Ed Turns is taking a step up. He played in League Two, obviously, last year on loan from Brighton. Um, played a couple of uh, pre-season friendlies and got roasted against Newcastle a couple of times during the summer in the USA. So he's come back, but you know he should be able to step up to League One. So those two were very key to to how we performed in the second half, at least last season. Um, going to your point about Dana Jay, he's out for five months. So essentially, if they'd have all been fit, we our, our squad look, would look quite strong. Um, but losing him. He's essentially going to be our January signing. So swings and roundabouts there. Jordan Graham loved what he did at Birmingham, playing as a wing back. I thought he was excellent. I didn't really know much about him when he played for Gillingham. Um, so to have him as a winger, that could be our marquee signing of the summer once he's fit and up to speed. Uh, and Joe Piggott, we, we spoke about it earlier for, for our podcast with, with you. Um he he could be an asset, but again, he's not up to speed yet. I think the, the best bit of business we've done this this summer, two players would be Sol Brin, uh, who we've got on loan from Middlesbrough, who was on, you know, probably the third or fourth best keeper in League Two last year when he was at Swindon, to to replace a player like Lawrence Figaro, who essentially probably would have been one of the best keepers in League League One this season if he'd have stayed with us. He's gone to Burnley and he's obviously in the Premier League now, so he's he's gonna be warming the bench but earning a lot more money. Can't begrudge the guy. Uh, and Ethan Galbraith, who's left Manchester United, probably through Richie Wellens' contacts at, at Man U, he was released. And um, there was a lot of championship clubs coming in for him as well. He was on loan at Salford last year. He's an exciting um, prospect as well. We've got him on a two-year deal. So there's that kind of element, if he has a good year this year, there's the financial impact of that signing as well. Just touched on that, actually, on Galbraith and El Mazzuni. What kind of dynamics does that midfield offer? You know, obviously you've got other options like Prattley and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, our midfield, you've got a lot of good players there, but it can be a bit safe at times. So what does that kind of combination look like on the field? I think there's so many combinations that our midfield can can use. We can either have two sitting midfielders with one in front. Um, we could have one sitting midfielder, one pushing on and, and one floating. Uh, Monker tends to play just behind and in front of the um, the, the midfield. Uh, so Prattley, Brown, Galbraith, Moncur, Sanders, um, and Ilmazuni, that's that's a pretty good midfield. You know, that's six players that can all play in that middle three. So they're all interchangeable. And the good thing is that the majority of those have, you know, four out of those six have played in that system already. 
I think that Galbraith brings a dynamism, as you know, in, especially in, in in close quarters, which you'll get a lot in League One because of the speed of the game. I think he may be a great asset to the squad in that way. Uh, we had a lot of time on the ball last year. People, you know, the teams that we played against kind of slowed the games down, so the midfield got a hold of it quite well. Um, but Galbraith could be an asset, and Sanders playing in League One already. Uh, he, he broke his toe during pre-season, so he should be back training this week. So hopefully he'll be in the squad as well. So I think the dynamic will be away from home. There'll be a bit more of a cautious outlook to how we set up. And I think at home, we'll probably just sit with one, which could be any of Brown, Sanders or or Prattley. So, um, yeah, I, I think our midfield is probably our strongest part of our team. You're saying about being a bit more aggressive at home and... When we're chatting before, we're talking about your your fullbacks getting forward and Pompey wanting to provide whip from their sort of left and right backs, putting balls into the box. And you were saying that's sort of the same with with Leighton Orient as well. And how will you look to then play your left and right backs into the game? Are you going to sort of just try and play it up through the thirds and build and then just try and get your left and right backs into positions to cross into the box? Well, the the way that we played last year with Smith and Archibald on the left and right, Archibald will cut in and give space to Tom James or Rob Hunt on the right-hand side to get the overlap. And the same on the left with Jaden Sweeney or Rob Hunt, whoever was playing on the left-hand side with Smith. Smith would take three players out of the game and then there would be space for everyone. So, yeah, I mean, when we were talking about your system and how you play, I think it's the further you go up the leagues, the systems are quite similar, the way that people are playing, the 4-3-3 essentially is just what you do with those two threes and how you 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 do it with a flat three or or someone sitting and then you've got the two wide men that can push on or tuck in. So I, th- I think that there's, that's why I went for nil-nil. And, you know, I, I feel like there could be a bit of a stalemate on Saturday, um, just purely for two sides, you know, cancelling each other out. Flip side of that is that they could just have it and it'd be three all. So, who knows? Who knows? It's um, it's an interesting system. Wellens kind of tweaked it against Carlisle last year, where where Jordan Brown kind of started dropping in a bit into the back four, uh, giving Tom James a bit of space to move up as well. So they they've got little tricks up his sleeve. Wellens is a smart cookie. He, he knows how to operate, and the team's got his back in. So whatever he says, that they do. And I, I couldn't really say tactically he got much wrong last year. And again, Saturday was just, you know, lethargy and and gelling that probably are the issues at the moment. So Joe Piggott was someone that I felt was maybe not used properly at Portsmouth. You know, there was a lot of attributes that we didn't really use much or, you know, we used at the wrong times. How are you guys using him and what kind of qualities can he offer and how do you feel about the signing as a whole? I think that he's a player that essentially... In our system, if you just take him out of it and just say, as that front man, he's got a press. Um, he's obviously got some talent. He's got some skill. Um, he's a different type of player than we've had up top for the last couple of seasons. We had Charlie Kelman up there last year for the majority with Will Soterio and Aaron Drinnen. Um, I think he's a, a definite step up from those. Um, and, and he's obviously got a, a finish on him. Uh, he's got prior uh, at AFC Wimbledon obviously where he scored a, a, a couple of seasons he scored goals for fun in a, in a team that really you know shouldn't really support him in that way but from the reactions on Twitter when we signed him especially from Pompey fans they said that he wasn't used right last year he was on the on the right a lot or he was off the bench so um, you, you can't just walk into that position and just be switching it on straight away especially if he's not fit because 
his, his pre-season was essentially kind of, um, you know, ha- kind of handcuffed a little bit by what happened with Ipswich and then obviously being released and not being involved and stuff like that. So he's he's probably two or three weeks behind. So I expect big things from him. It's just whether or not we change the system to suit him. You mentioned a lot of positive things about the midfield and other parts of the squad, but then you said earlier there's some fans are really cross. Where, whereabouts, whereabouts is the squad, do you think? Do you think it's got a lot of weaknesses that can be patched up or do you think it's... We we have a problem with with injuries at the moment. Losing Dan Ajayi is a massive, massive loss. So lo- losing him for five months is a player that we we would have expected to score ten to fifteen goals from wide or or even playing in the centre. He, he could have been someone that could have gone up top with with Joe Piggott, um or, or in, you know they they could have uh, swapped positions in that system that we play. I'd say that we are weakest in defence. I think we've got our back four as it was last year, but the depth has gone. Um, we sold Shadogi to Gillingham, another one of Jacket's raids. Um, so two players that really didn't get a look in under Richie Wellens was Ethan Coleman and Shadogi, and they'd gone to Gillingham and apparently they were the best players on the pitch against Southampton uh, last night, which is typical. But we've got six figures for Shadogi, so you can't really argue with that. But it does leave us really short in centre uh, half position. We've got Omar Beckles, who's played League One before for Crew. Um, we've got Dan Happy stepping up, who was, you know, he caught the eye of a few clubs in the top division before he got his first injury a couple of years ago. He played really well, was our player of the season up until the Northampton game when he got injured last year uh, by far. Um, very impressive. We'll be interesting to see how he steps up to League One. And again, Ed turns. But Adam Thompson's injured and, and Richie kind of sees him as a bit of a a right back um, and Jordan Brown and Darren Prattley as emergency centre-backs is not really screaming depth to me. Tom James can be, I'd say, caught out defensively, attacking, great, great crosser of the ball, really good passer of the ball and scores some absolute worldies. Uh, Rob Hunt's a bit more conservative. Jaden Sweeney's got a bit more about him at left back, but um, I'd say... I'd say our defence and our attack is where we need to get players in. Probably a couple more in defence and at least one in attack at the moment. I think midfield is set and our goalkeepers are okay. So um, with three weeks left to go, I'm, I'm confident that the, the the transfer committee of Martin Lynn, Richie Wellens and the board will do something about it. Right, now's the point, Adam, where I usually say to you, what's your score prediction? But you already said it mid-episode, it's nil-nil. And I usually try and put people on the spot as well and go... Any goal scorers, please. And people go, Arr. but since you went for a nil-nil, there's absolutely no need for you to do that as well. So you sort of opted out. I mean, it's a safe option from you, but we appreciate that. So why don't you tell people where they can find your podcast? Yeah, so it's Lowdown Podcast, uh, at LO underscore podcast. Um, it's on, on uh, obviously on Twitter, or X as we like to call it. Uh, you can find that on SoundCloud and all other leading uh, streamers. Um, the links are on our tweets. So, yeah, you can find me if you want to direct that way at Parksy1881. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to another season. All right, nice one. Well, Adam, thanks for coming on the show. And we will speak soon, I'm sure. Yeah, cheers. Good luck after Saturday. <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> thanks, Adam, for coming on the podcast. Late in Orient. Well, they haven't scored a goal yet, boys, but they have played pretty difficult teams, let's be honest. Played Plymouth and Charlton. Obviously, Plymouth in the Championship and Charlton, a top team who we expect to at least finish in the top six this season, as per our predictions anyway. 
I'm sort of counting you in that, Jack, even though you didn't do it, but I'm assuming you are leaning towards Charlton being at least one of the top teams in the league, top six? I think I've got them down for, I want to say fifth. I think fifth, I said. That's all about where we are with them as well. But yeah, losing 1-0 to Charlton, again, is not a big, not a, um, no disgrace in that at all. Obviously, they're quite close geographically as well, so that would be an interesting game that happens. I know some of their fans are blowing up a little bit about it. Let's be honest, we can relate to that. With, uh, with Twitter generally and fan bases. So how are we feeling about this game then? I don't know what I want to get is both of your predictions and how the game's going to go. I already gave my prediction, so I'll get it out there so you guys can go different or roast me for it, whatever you want. I've gone for a 2-1 Pompey win. I think there'll be goals in the game. I think we'll get two. I've just allowed Leighton Orient a goal. They haven't scored one yet. Um, I've gone for I've just gone for two one at home. I think we'll we'll go for it. I think both sets of fullbacks will try and get forward. I think it'll leave a little bit of space in behind. So I've gone for a two one Pompey win. Who wants to go first? I'll uh, I'll jump in. Oh, yeah, I think it's gonna be. <laughs> I think it's gonna be. Um, it's gonna start off quite tight, and they're gonna really clog up the middle. And then I think it'll the quality will show, and Portsmouth are gonna win. 2-0 with Robertson and Scully scoring in the last 25 minutes. Freddie, are you going to complete the hat-trick of, of positivity by predicting a Pompey win or are you going to be a miserable bastard and go for something different? Why do you assume the latter? <laughs> no, I'm going to track be positive record. this one. Oh, track record, brilliant. I predicted this thing to finish fifth. How is that not positive? <laughs> I could have predicted seven. Right, just all right. Just, Get to the point. Know. Answer the question, please. All right, stay, on, stay on, on track. All right, fine. Um, I like Leighton Orient's midfield. And like Jack said, the game will be won in the midfield. Elvazuni, Moncur, brilliant players. But they haven't got a lot up top They don't, and their defence is quite leaky. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Pompey win. Colby Bishop off the mark uh, for his first goal this, of many goals this season. I'm probably going to take a solid away win from there. All right. I like that. Three of us predicting a win. Hopefully we won't be slapping ourselves in the face next week when we record and cursing how positive we were. I'm not feeling that. I'm feeling I'm feeling we're going to get three points here. Kickstart off our August and try and get some momentum going before we get to these games in September. Jack, it's been awesome having the podcast. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers for having me, mate. It's uh Always a pleasure, you know, get my, my big my big time call up. I feel like an academy player who's playing in the Carabao Cup. Um, you know, I was picked up from the extra from the youth ranks, so now, you know, I'm here on the big time. And yeah, uh doing this in honor of Andy. So, you know, gone but never forgotten. That's it. That's it. You're the Kobe Motter of the podcast, and I like that. <laughs> and Fred, great having you the podcast, mate. Oh, always a pleasure here. Thanks for having me back on. And uh yeah, hopefully we can enjoy the football on Saturday. Exactly. And Andy, rest up, brother. We're all thinking about you um, most of the time, should we say. <laughs> and until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. <laughs>